Actors and writers in Hollywood have been on strike for weeks, and in multiple cities across the country, you can actually see it. For example, okay, heading downstairs. Here in New York City, CNN shares offices with its parent company, Warner Brothers Discovery, which is one of the strikers' biggest targets. So anyone who comes near the building is going to hear about it. Just walked outside, and I can see the strikers right across the street. Every weekday, rain or shine, SAG-AFTRA, which is the main actors' union, has been on the picket line with their signs and matching t-shirts making their voices heard. The Writers' Guild has organized similar events across the city. Now, these strikes have ground Hollywood to a halt, but I think it's important to note the vast majority of these union members are not the super-famous A-listers you might be thinking of. And they say the core ideas behind what they're striking for can apply just about anywhere. My guest this week is CNN business and politics correspondent Vanessa Yurkevich. We're going to talk about why this so-called hot labor summer goes well beyond Hollywood and why union workers feel they have more leverage than ever. From CNN, this is One Thing. I'm David Rind. Vanessa, it seems like I can't go a few days without hearing about a strike or some kind of labor action. What's going on here? It's definitely the summer of strikes or the summer of almost strikes. Almost, right. Almost. Right. So can you walk me through some of the biggest ones that have gone all the way to a strike? Like the writers and actors are still on strike in Hollywood, right? Exactly. So the one that came first was the writer's strike in May. And tell me, why are you out here today? We're out here for the to fight for the sustainability of a profession that literally generates billions of dollars annually. I was out in front of the Ed Sullivan Theater when that went down. There's writers who have worked on successful shows and then are having to drive Ubers in the meantime waiting for the next gig. But we're at about 100 days and counting now. So we've surpassed uh, the strike that happened in 2007, 2008, and we are creeping towards hitting a record, which was in 1988. That strike went on for 154 days. So the writers now have been on strike for over 100 days and no signs of the two sides getting back together to come to an agreement. And it was a really interesting time because you had the writers, the directors, and actors all negotiating at the same time. The directors were able to come to an agreement with the studios. The actors did not. If we don't stand tall right now, we are all going to be in trouble. And they went on strike in July. So now you have the writers on strike, the actors on strike, and they're both really asking for the same thing. You share the wealth because you cannot exist without us. Thank you. Yeah, what are the demands? They want better residuals around streaming because everything is on an app and they want to know how many people are watching and they want to make sure that they're compensated for it. Hmm. Also, both the writers and the actors want better regulation around artificial intelligence. Mm. They don't want a computer writing their scripts, and they don't want a computer creating stand-in actors. That's been a big fight for both parties, and both sides, the studios and the writers and the actors, seem pretty far apart right now on those two sticking points. What are the studios saying in response? 
The studios are saying that they have made historic offers. They have raised the rates on residuals for actors and writers. But they also talk about changing climates. There's a level of expectation that they have that is just not realistic. And they are adding to a set of challenges that this business is already facing that is, quite frankly, very disruptive. So they're not being realistic? No, they're not. We heard from Disney CEO Bob Iger on CNBC, who talked about the fact that he believes that this strike is misguided, that the writers and the actors are asking for too much. However... Yeah, it's very funny that this this multi-millionaire CEO says that we're not being realistic. The writers and the actors would point to record profits that some of these studios have been pulling in. I wrote for a very big show called The Bear. I made very little money. I saw no profits in it. I lived below the poverty line working on this show that has made millions of dollars for FX and Disney at large. This is not how the world has to be. They say that they just want their piece of the pie because without them, the studios don't make money. Right. Obviously, a lot of money at stake here, not only for the studios, but for the union members as well. So do we have a sense of what the financial ramifications could be if this drags on? We know that the writer's strike that happened in 2007-2008 cost the U.S. economy $2 billion. Wow. And that was years ago, and that was only at 100 days. Now we are going past that. We can expect this to be a big impact, especially in the state of California. And then the ripple effect is so important. It's not just the wages lost to the writers and the actors and the profits lost to the studios. It's the bodega owner. It's the Uber driver. It's the mm. set design studio. They were all working together like in this ecosystem. the catering ecosystem. people on set are out of a job, too. Craft services. Mm. They're not being hired right now. The ripple effect is immense, and it will be prolonged if this doesn't get wrapped up soon. Happening right now, more than 11,000 Los Angeles City workers are on strike. Picket lines already forming in the front. Of City Hall, also at LA. And California is really interesting because that's where you have the majority of writers, that's where you have the majority of actors. We're also seeing hotel workers walking out in sort of what is considered rolling strikes. It's been a solidarity summer with other unions, and Tuesday we're going to be, you know, shutting down the city, the entire city of Los Angeles. We've also seen uh, some city employees staging a one-day work stoppage. So it's not just the big strikes we're all talking about and knowing, knowing about. It's the other different industries that are looking to these big strikes and saying, hey, what do we deserve to? Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. So, Vanessa, we were talking about Hollywood and some of the major players in California. But I, I realize some of our listeners are like, hey, I don't 
live in California. I've got plenty of reality TV loaded up on Netflix. Like, I'm fine if they're not cranking out movies in the next few months. So what other labor actions do you have your eye on? I am keeping a very keen eye on the potential, potential, potential UPS strike. I know that we averted it earlier. Right. I thought that was done and over with. Done and over with that they came to a deal. However, all of the employees, the 340,000 UPS workers who are represented by the Teamsters, have to vote on this contract Mm. and vote to ratify it. There is a sense that some of these part-time workers, which make up the majority of those 340,000 workers, are not very happy with the contract. And that could mean a no vote. So I know this deal just broke, the details trickling out. You've gotten to look over it a little bit. Your initial reaction to what you've seen? Um, shocked. Shocked, but excited. I was actually at a local Teamsters union hall in Philadelphia filming a story just asking people how they felt about the negotiations, what they wanted. And on that very day, they actually reached a deal. Mm. This is good. This is a start. I mean, a lot of the drivers that were I was with, the UPS drivers I was with, liked what they saw. But you were hearing from some of those part-time workers that they really wanted to see the fine print. When you see that kind of a potential increase, what does that mean to you, to your family? It means a lot, you know. Um, It means I could continue to provide for my family like I've been doing. They wanted to understand exactly how much they would be getting in wages and how quickly those wages would rise. And if they do go on strike, that means, like, no packages for anybody, basically. It's going to mean no getting your toilet paper from Amazon if you're using UPS as a provider for small businesses. Mm. It could be very difficult. And also think about rural areas of the U.S. where people are relying on medicine to come to them. Mm. If UPS is not operational... FedEx, USPS cannot make up the slack, so it's going to affect every single American. And didn't I hear something about the automakers possibly going on strike in a few weeks, too? Like, what's going on there? Always a possibility. Right now, you have the United Auto Workers Union negotiating with the big three U.S. automakers, Stellantis, GM, and Ford. Those negotiations are underway. All of their contracts expire at the same exact time, September 14th. So the goal, obviously, is to get three deals back-to-back and to avoid a strike. The president, President Biden, is watching this very closely because he's a pro-union president. He's already dealing with still too high inflation. He's dealing with a couple other strikes right now. He narrowly averted a rail strike. The last thing he wants is an auto strike. And what about these businesses that really kind of touch even closer to home for Americans. I'm thinking like Starbucks and Amazon. I know there have been efforts to unionize those huge corporations. What What's the status there? It has been difficult. There have been efforts underway at Amazon, Tesla, REI, Starbucks. Starbucks is probably the most successful in the sense that they now have 330 store unions mm. across 32 states around the country. But the problem is they haven't actually had the opportunity to negotiate with Starbucks. Oh, so like they formed the union, but there's still no deal. There's no deal. There's been no formal negotiations. And part of this is because a lot of Starbucks workers, specifically in Buffalo, that's where the first store union was founded, 
they filed a lawsuit against Starbucks saying that the company was union busting Mm. and many people were fired or pushed out of the company. And a judge actually ruled in the employee's favor. So I'm Angel Krempa. So I went to Buffalo to interview a couple of these union workers who say they were fired illegally because they were trying to organize within a Starbucks in Buffalo. They didn't want us to organize. They didn't want it to happen. Krempa says she was fired because she was trying to lead the union effort. She says that she was pushed out. They were depriving us of sleep. They were depriving us of a proper shift to run. That she was written up, that her hours were reduced, and ultimately she was fired. And she did, along with others, file a lawsuit against the company, and she won. You talked about the trauma, sleep deprivation, not being able to make the money you want to be making here. Why not just quit? Because... This matters more than just one person. And when I spoke to her, I said, but do you want to go back into that Starbucks? Do you even want to work there? Yeah, if they're treating you the way that she's saying, why would you want to come back? But she does. She does want to be back there. She loved working for Starbucks. She says she loved working for the company. She just wanted to make it better. And she feels like the only way to do that is from the inside. Hmm. So... Let's do it and let's do it together and let's help other industries understand that they can do it because coffee needs a union, but so does everybody else. And Starbucks said at the time that ruling was inappropriate and was considering all options to obtain further legal review. But after hearing all that and especially hearing Angel's story, it just seems to me like the unions are really emboldened these days. So What is it about this moment that is giving the workers the confidence to say, hey, we're getting screwed out of here and we're willing to stop working, stop making money in order to fix it? I think there's three things to look at. The first is the pandemic. It changed Mm. the game. And think about these workers we're talking about. We're talking about auto workers. We're talking about UPS drivers and handlers. We're talking about Starbucks baristas. These are the people who worked during the pandemic. Frontline workers. Essential frontline workers. And they have seen the companies that they work for, their profits rise, and they want to be compensated. Another reason I think that unions are so emboldened right now is because they're watching how fast technology is changing. For auto workers, you're seeing automation, which is replacing human jobs. For the writers, the actors, artificial intelligence, they are seeing that potentially take jobs away. And so they feel like they need to put their foot in the ground, claim their stake and say, hey, wait a minute, technology, AI can't do what I do. They want regulations in place. And then the last thing is company profits, watching the companies make money, billions, oftentimes record profits, and they want a piece of that pie. People are emboldened to join unions. People love being a part of unions. But union membership is actually down. It's not really where it used to be at the height. And that a lot of that is because the jobs simply don't exist. The union jobs don't exist. The auto workers have tens and tens of thousands of union members. And same thing with the actors and same thing with UPS. These sort of more niche unions that are popping up in other industries, sure, they have the potential to grow. But right now, they're still small. Hmm. 
Interesting. Vanessa, thank you. Thank you. One Thing is a production of CNN Audio. This episode was produced by Paolo Ortiz and me, David Rind. Matt Dempsey is our production manager. Fez Jamil is our senior producer. Greg Peppers is our supervising producer. And Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of CNN Audio. Hey, I know I've been asking for ratings and reviews lately. And for those who have done so, I see you. I appreciate it. Thanks as always for listening. Be back next Sunday. Talk to you then. <laughs>